You're listening to Beyond 1894, a podcast dedicated to updating you on research, innovation, and campus life happening at Louisiana Tech University. You're listening to Beyond 1894. First off, I would like to say Happy Black History Month. Um, just to start with a couple introductions, my name is Lederica Christian. I am a fi- senior finance major with a minor in human development and family science, and I currently serve as the Black Student Union president for this current school year. Hello, uh, I am Max Broussard. I'm a senior in mechanical engineering from Brobridge, Louisiana, and I currently serve in multiple executive positions in different organizations on campus some including uh, the African-American Male Initiative Liaison for the Black Student Union, as well as the Director of Campus Activities for Student Government Association. What's going on, everybody? This is Donovan Turner. I am a member of faculty staff here at Louisiana Tech University. I serve as the TOPS coordinator in the Office of Financial Aid. I graduated Louisiana Tech University in sociology, uh, minoring in history, and uh, political science um, last spring, so the spring of 2020, so when I, uh, 2021, sorry, is when I graduated. All right, so we're just going to kind of get started with some conversations. Um, I guess we can kind of talk about our journeys of like how we kind of came to tech, especially being um, African-American students at a predominantly white institution. Um, so for me, I know I wanted to do business and I'm a research person. So I kind of did my research on what universities would be best. Um, And for me, the College of Business here at Louisiana Tech was top tier, um, especially like in their research and different things that they were doing for different programs within the college. Um, And so that's kind of what made me come here. Um, And then when I got here on campus, just meeting some of the people here in the community um, is really what kind of drew me to kind of start here fall of 2018. So. Um, For me, you know, being from South Louisiana, right, you know, 20 minutes outside of Lafayette, uh, both my parents graduated from USL, as they like to call it now, the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Um, So wanting to go into engineering, some of my top choices to stay in state were um, ULL and Louisiana Tech. And after I toured Louisiana Tech, I really felt uh, that same, you know, community feel like Lederica talked about. And... I, I still wasn't sure. Um, it really wasn't until I came to orientation that I felt at home and felt comfortable coming to tech. That's when I met some administrators. I met uh, one of the OSLs that you had orientation student leaders, Michael Lovett. Um, and all he had to say was, you know, we got you. And in that moment, I just felt, you know, good about coming to tech. And so that's whenever my journey at tech really started. Um. To be completely honest, I did not want to come to Tech at first. I graduated Haynesville High School, um, where the blacks, uh, the proportion of black students started to grow, but the opportunities for black students were not growing. It was very stale. Um, so with a lot of the colleges that came, it was, I won't even say mostly, it was all PWI colleges that came from when we had college fairs, college days, and things like that. So we never had like um, Grambling or Southern or any other HBCUs or multicultural colleges um, come to, um, you know, just to give us a little exposure to, you know, other other forms of or other levels of um, education. Um, I wanted to go to Grambling, 
originally I was going to go to Grambling. I had already had the acceptance letter, um, scholarship letters, all of that stuff. But in t- 2016 was the year that Tops crashed. And so that impacted a lot of my decision moving forward with my education. Um, I had to go where the money went. So the money brought me here to Tech. So um, I was here. Um, a lot of people just took me under their wing, made me feel at home. And I did. I made Tech my home. And I made the most out of um, the opportunities that were given to me here. Okay, so I know um, within the past, I'd say, two years or so, um, Dr. Guy's University has made some excellent strides uh, towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so I guess we can kind of talk about what, how do we feel um, now? What do we feel like we still have to go? Um, what do we feel like has changed? Um, that kind of thing has the climate change for us as students. Um, we can kind of open up that conversation. I will say in 2016 was a very different time. Mm-hmm. being here as a student. Um, we were in the heat of election, all of that stuff. So everything was just going down on campus. There are a lot of videos getting you know, uh, uh, passed around campus, a lot of signs being hung up around campus. Um, it was a very tough time to be a black student, um, really any student of color. It was, it was a really tough time here um, on campus. I will say that from 16 to 18, from 18 to now, and just overall, cultural competence has increased, I would say. Um, so now people can't, not saying that it was ever an excuse, but people can't use an excuse of saying, I, I didn't know. Because um, now we have all these things available. Um, all these people speaking, so many voices are being heard now. Um, not saying that this is by far... Uh, where we stop, it's always work to be done, but there's definitely been a positive shift here on campus as far as the climate, student bodies, faculty, staff, all of that stuff uh, since 2016. I hope to see more in the future. I'm very hopeful for that. Yeah, I can definitely agree um, with you, Donovan. I know I came, we started, me and LaDerica started fall of 2018. And just seeing the growth from there, you know, from going from having one African-American dean, now having two African-American deans, both in, you know, student activities that realm directly impacting students, as well as having Dr. Wood serving as a vice president, um, just the representation growing, you know, and administrators really trying to hear every corner of the student body from every demographic from every minority to make the best decisions for them um i think that's been the biggest change but it's also been the mentality of the students you know i remember listening to stuff you know listening to conversations in oma talking about like well why don't we have black student recruiters and you know dean speed being like well african-americans don't apply and then seeing a surge of more african-american student recruiters same thing with osls I mean, just seeing more going from having one a year, two a year, jumps to four, three. So it's it's a constant progress and constant improvement. Seen a lot of change recently. Yeah, I think for me, it's kind of crazy because I would definitely say the job's not finished and is nowhere near done. Uh, but I think I'm very appreciative. I was having a conversation with uh, some female student leaders, black female student leaders at NACA this past weekend. And we got into the conversation of, we had a student who um, 
she was actually the founding president of Black Student Union at her school. Um, and so just kind of talking to her and, you know, her getting some perspective from me about what she could do better and different ideas and stuff like that. And, you know, I told her, cause she was saying that their university is predominantly Native American, I think. Um, and so she was saying the minorities aren't necessarily minority, but she said the predominant is still um, white students, but it's still a good minority population because um, originally it was like Native American land. Um, and so just telling her about how it's crazy how your followers are a direct reflection of your leadership because for us, I think it started with Dr. Geis and it trickled down. Um, and so you see these things kind of changing within not only you know, Dr. Geis, but then it trickles down to the vice president, then the deans, you know, and then it trickles down to faculty and staff and it trickles down to students. And so I think Dr. Geis has done a great job of actually sitting and taking time to listen to us um, as black students about what we need um, and actually not just listening, but like putting those things into action. And so that's been a big thing that I think has really helped us to move forward. Um, but at the same time, here we are in 2022, still having first, you know, um, and so, with that, I mean, uh, last year with Dr. Wood's appointment, um, the year before with, you know, Dean Lovon. And so uh, this year having the second, um, shout out to, you know, Miss Sydney Gant, um, who just became the second uh, black woman to hold the title of Miss Louisiana Tech. Um, and so we're still kind of making those first strides, um, even in 2022. And so I think we still have ways to go, um, but I'm excited to see the progress that we make um, in the coming years. And also the goal is, I think now, um, we're still having so many firsts, but it's important that the first don't become the last. And it's yes. important that we make it to a point where all of these firsts aren't needed because we've been there, done that. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think we've, we we are on that trajectory. Um, big shout out to Dr. Geis because he didn't have to do what he did. As far as the uh, state of black tech students, the Zooms that we were on every week and every other week, um, a lot of college presidents I know probably would not have taken the time out of their Sunday or whenever it was we were having those meetings just to sit and listen and be open enough to just hear our experiences, um, especially in the heat of like all the emotions that were going on. He cried. He allowed us to cry. It was so many things I think um, Dr. Geis really put him in, in, in motion here um, that are, that's going to continue to uh, take on this path of, you know, uh, equality and representation and equity. And I think one of the biggest, you know, tools that the university is using, rightfully so, has been the Office of Multicultural Affairs and, you know, just letting that grow and continue to grow without stopping, you know, I mean, Donnie, you know it too. Like whenever we first got here, OMA was a thirty Spots. by twenty room mm -hmm. that had yeah. two offices and about eight seating spaces. Yeah. Now he's taken over almost you know the whole second floor of the student center, and still growing. You know, uh, we've grown from a director and one coordinator to a director, two coordinators, and a dean over the mm -hmm. whole office. You know, mm -hmm. and just with those resources, being able to sponsor more scholarships, being able to connect to more students, have more programming, not just for African-American students, but also for any minority that's underserved, you know, keeping that progress growing, being able to foster that is, you know, one of the ways that we can definitely grow and keep going, you know, making sure that people actually see it, 
because I know I didn't see it when I came on the tour. Um, but once I got here, it became my second home. You know, so it's some it's a very important piece that, you know, we may know about it a lot and talk about it a lot, but a lot of people don't recognize its value to my perspective. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, knowing the resources is very important, especially when you're on a campus um, and you're an underrepresented student because you really don't realize how much accessibility you have um, to different things. Um, I know something I tell, we have like an apprenticeship program with Black Student Union and something I tell the apprentices all the time is um, Dean Vaughn was, I think, kind of telling them like to come connect with her and she was like, you know, giving out her personal number. And I'm like, listen, and they're sitting there just looking and I'm like, pull out your phones. These are resources that you never know, like you'll need later on. Like, you don't know if you'll get in a bond like financially and she may be able to connect you with someone. You don't know if you may get in a bond academically. Like you never realize the resources you have until you actually use them. And you know, it's a saying that we have in the um, black community closed mouths don't get fed. So, you know, she can't help or, you know, other people can't help if you don't ask for that help. Um, and that's one of the first ways to know the resources that you have is by asking. So. Um, that's something I try to tell them all the time. Um, something I kind of thought about um, as Donovan was talking was um, how important, um, since we are all like black student leaders on this campus, um, how important do we think representation is and how important, um, how does that affect like our legacy once we leave here? Um, like what are we leaving? You know, how are we leaving this campus once we leave to other like underrepresented students, not even just black students, but underrepresented underrepresented students in general? Uh, it's, you can't put it like even bar on the importance. Um, you know, like Donnie was talking about the first and making sure they don't be the last. Seeing what those trailblazers have done, just it opens that door, that possibility. You know, um, going into organizations, you know, I started out just joining primarily minority organizations. And then it wasn't until my junior year I got into organizations like SGA. You know, and it was things like that where I felt like I had to join organizations. I say had to, but I feel like I, ha I, you know, inject myself into those organizations so that those freshmen coming behind me could be like, oh, he's an SGA. I can be an SGA. You know, it's a, it's almost like a mental click. Once you see somebody in a position, it's like you can mentally put yourself there, then go for it. And then that's really how the progress keeps pushing. Um, and so being able to see, you know, the first black students at Integrated Tech, Bertha Bradford Robinson and James Earl Potts now on, you know, freshman suites whenever the signage gets changed, being able to see those accomplishments and them rewarded for their accomplishments is, you know, a legacy in and of its own. But I feel like for us as students today, our legacy just has to be continuing to push and advance the strides they made you know, as being first and us continuing to do it, continuing to push the envelope to open more doors and make it more comfortable for students to do what they're doing. The goal is always to leave campus better than how we found it. Yes. Um, and like Max said, we are building and standing really on the shoulders of everyone who came before us. And we are, you know, in the positions that we are in now, Hopefully we are a resource to other people so that we can be for those students that come after us what maybe we did not have, you know, coming in ourselves. Um, that's why I take my uh, specific role in financial aid so seriously because I get to bridge that disconnect 
between uh, black students, other students of colors, and our office. Um, because we have, we really just have to be real in terms of communication. There is often a disconnect, especially when you're talking about across, you know, racial lines or across cultural lines, things like that. Um, so I think just, you know, being very intentional about your work here in the office, and that's a word that, that, uh, uh, Miss D will use yes. all the time. That's a word that Don Tisha will use all the time. Um, Mr. Jimmy then got to where he uses it now. Miss um, <laughs> <laughs> Ponton uses it, um, but it's a it's a true word. And I think and I really didn't hear that word until like a couple of years ago when they actually started using it around me. Um, but now that I know it, I can internalize and I know what it means and I know what it feels like to be intentional um, about the work that we do here. So. Um, with knowing all of our resources, it, I think a part of the legacy as a black student is being a resource to other black students who are coming after you. Because um, it's always going to be good just to ask for help or knowing that help is available should you need it. Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy because you know how important representation is uh, and you know how important it is for students to come up after you, but it's not until you actually like hear students say things like that and like talk about how appreciative they are that you realize, okay, it like sets in, yes. like okay, yeah, this really yes. is important. Um, because one of uh, my one of the apprentices for Black Student Union, uh, she was actually one of my freshmen, and her and I actually really didn't even, I didn't think we really connected over the summer. Uh, but it's kind of funny because when she got here. I was always the person she ran to for everything. And um, I found it really interesting. And so we were talking one day and she was texting me and I think I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning from a text from her and she was like, you know, I came to this school like thinking, no, she said I came to school praying that I would see someone black at orientation and here I have a black orientation leader. And she was like, you just don't know like how important or how much that meant to me. And I said, wow. Like this really is important. And I think as black student leaders, um, y'all can kind of talk on this too. Um, there's kind of like a responsibility that we have to kind of get involved because you have people um, sometimes that complain about certain things that don't get changed. Um, and it's like, well, what are you doing to take the initiative? And I and I appreciate um, Donovan and Max um, because I know I can say that these two um, actually take time to get involved, take time to try to bridge that gap um, and connect with students, um, leave a legacy bigger than themselves so that way we can keep pushing the needle forward. Because I mean, even uh, I sat in this room in September with uh, Dalton and Kiara talking about how, you know, we made history as being the first, the most diverse orientation staff. Well, this year they're making history again um, with being the most diverse staff so far, um, not even in just race, but I mean backgrounds, uh, just, all across the board. Um, we have so many like students this year who um, are transfer students that are orientation leaders uh, coming from out of state. We have the most out of state students I think we've had in a minute. Um, and so just continually, continuously doing things to push that forward um, is just very important. And I'm excited to see what they do this summer um, because if I, I don't think I stated this, but I'll be working with them again this summer um, with exec um, being a parent leader. So kind of bridging that gap with parents, um, making sure that they know their students are in good hands, um, that kind of thing. But I think it's very important. One thing I always tried to do, especially over the summer was make sure that parents and students, um, African-American parents and students knew 
um, of the Office of Multicultural Affairs, letting them know the resources. Uh, we have scholarships going on. Hey, have you, has anybody talked to you about this? Um, so that way they don't feel left out and they know you know, their resources. They can, you know, tell their um, children, hey, make sure you go fill out the scholarship because you you never know. Um, coming in for me, I got connected through the Office of Multicultural Affairs because of BSU, because we had to do office hours. I was an apprentice um, my freshman year. And um, just some of the people I met, I would not have met if I wasn't in the Office of Multicultural Affairs, not even just faculty and staff, I mean students. Um, me and Max met because of OMA. So it's you never know the connections that you'll make and the resources that you'll have. And I think that's a big component of retention and what we do here and how to retain black students. Um, and OMA is a very big component of that. So I'm very appreciative that Dr. Geis has expanded that uh, because the truth is we need it, not even just for black students, but all underrepresented students. Um, so I'm very appreciative for him for that. But Derek and I also met it um um and she just said Max, but I'm also sitting okay. at the table. In my, <laughs> in my defense, no, it's not even like that. Yeah, we met in OMA, but like we didn't really start talking until like financial aid. She's saying really. all of this during Black History Month. <laughs> listen, listen, <laughs> listen. My fault. No, nah, but one thing you said, LaDerica, like going back to a point, really both of y'all talking about resources and us as student leaders, like I'll never forget, you know, I think one of the biggest positives of being a student leader, knowing those resources, being able to help students, because a lot of times, you know, if they have an issue, they're not going to go hunt down in financial aid to go solve a of, of issue. They might just talk about it with us or with their friends and just because like, oh, have you tried like calling? He's like, nah, I ain't gonna do that. They gonna give me the runaround. And it's like, well, let me text Donovan. Hey, <laughs> you know, you got yep. this form on like, and being able to have those connections. Um, I know one story I'll never forget. I just got busy during a quarter and I forgot to renew my housing lease. So I didn't have housing. <laughs> forgot to have it going into senior year. And so I was talking to no. Mr. Jimmy about it. And he was just like, well, did you go talk to him? And I was like, I mean, I missed the deadline, so they're not really probably going to help me. And he was like, hold on. Come back, get an email, pay your deposit, your housing is very assigned. And I was like, what did you do? He was like, I know people. <laughs> and so it's not even it's, – it's really just not having those connections. It's being able to help fill those gaps and being able to talk to at least one person. And they'll be able to help you out wherever you got to go. And I feel like that's the the real the need for more, you know, the continuation of getting more minority students involved because, you know, having more involved means that those resources to other students that feel like they can't do it or they don't have that access is important. Um, and also just being able to talk to, you know, alumni. You know, I'm a member of student advancement team, which handles working with alumni. Um, and so being able to do that, being able to speak to alumni as they come back to campus, talk about the changes and being like, well, we didn't have that 20 years ago. And it's like, well, we do now. So it's like, you know, these are the changes that are happening. These are what's been better since you've been back. And that instantly changes their perspective on what's going on. And now they're wanting to pour in more, you know, working with organizations to do mentoring, to give talks about industry or possible opportunities and working all that just continuing to better the experience of minority students. I think um while we're here, mm -hmm. 
And we all pretty much touched on, you know, different members of faculty and staff for Black History. Let's highlight them, cause Miss D, uh, Mr. Jimmy, um, Coach Vaughn when he was here, have all poured into us. You know, amongst other 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 um, members of faculty and staff have all poured into us. So, um, I guess what do you appreciate most? as a student of color, a black student specifically, um, having, you know, faculty and staff who are who look like you trying to help and, and inspiring. I think for me, um being a, a black woman, uh this was I never forget um Ashlyn Taylor. Me and her were having a conversation one day and uh we had just left out of SGA meeting pretty heated uh, about some stuff. And um, she said, you know, they're not checking for you. And I, I kind of looked at her and I was like, what? And I had to kind of let it sit for a second, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, they're not really checking for black students. They're not checking for anybody there on behalf of like underrepresented students. They may be now um, are starting to pay attention more, but the truth of the matter is um, in certain situations, the first their first thought is not, well, how will this affect underrepresented students? And so um, for me, I think Ms. D is kind of funny because they all kind of serve me in different ways because Mr. Jimmy um, kind of has this thing of like always shifting my perspective from like negativity to positivity. So like he's very optimistic. So he'll, he has the opportunity, like if I go in his office and sit down and talk to him about something, he'll change my perspective. And it's like, well, you know, at least this happened or like look at the positive side of this um, kind of thing. And then Ms. D, uh, she will call me out, period, point blank. Uh, she, and when I meet, when I say it, <laughs> she, she will call me out. Um, and I'm sure they can attest to it as well. Um, she has no problems like calling you out, but it's a way to challenge you. Um, I remember my freshman year, the first thing she called me out on, uh, I left out of a TLC meeting. I was part of TLC my freshman year. And um, there was a comment made that I didn't appreciate. I felt like it was kind of like a microaggression, but I, I didn't say anything. And the other black students in the room kind of felt it. And we were all kind of upset. And um, I get to the BSU meeting that night and I go up to Ms. D and I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna talk to her about it, you know, just kind of in passing, you know. And I'm talking to her about it. I'm like, yeah, Ms. D, they did this, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she looked at me She's standing there, she listens, and she looks at me, she goes, so what did you say? And I said, I didn't say anything. And she said, so why are you bringing it to me if you didn't say anything? And I just kind of sat there. And I remember them being other people around, and I was like, oh, she just embarrassed me in front of these people. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, it was she was right. I mean, why would I bring something to you, a problem for you to maybe bring up to somebody else when I didn't even say anything in the moment? You know, I didn't correct them. I didn't say they were wrong. Um, and so it's it's kind of one of those things. She was like, "So why are you bringing it to me? You should have said something in the moment if that's how you felt." Um, and ever since then, she just she kind of challenges me. And I think as a black woman, it's very important um, for me to see another black woman of her caliber, you know, um, in her position. And just seeing everything that she does on a day-to-day basis is, like, very important. Um, I love going to her office and having conversations with her now. Um, but she will challenge me, and she will call me out, so. 
Um, I would say for me, you know, there hasn't just been one. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you from an academic and a professional side, uh, Dr. Miguel Gates in COES, you know, he he was our Nesby advisor for the National Society of Black Engineers for our chapter. And just being able to see him being, you know, a program chair in COES, you know, seeing what he does on a daily basis and watching him navigate and wanting to be like that and being comfortable being who I am uh, in my profession was something I needed to see for sure. Um, you know, Mr. Jimmy, like we've talked about, you know, he he changed, you know, gave me another perspective, was a true mentor, still is to this day uh, for me. And, you know, like LaDerek was talking about changing that perspective, I remember the countless times I go into his office complaining about, you know, oh, I got a test this week, got a paper due. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just hits you with the, well, McDonald's is hiring. And, like, it makes you just take a step back and just remember why. Like, it really, like, he just blatantly. And it just makes you take a step back and be like, yeah, I'm here so I don't have to apply to McDonald's. Like, I'm here to get a job. I'm on a path. And I'm going to get through it. You know, um, working closely more, like, with Dean Speed and hearing from his perspective more so, you know, recruiting-wise has changed my perspective and how – uh, have talked to parents on tours, you know, with COS ambassador and given tours of college of engineering and science, seeing everything he's been through. Um, and then most recently, Dr. Wood, just seeing how he's able to not only be the athletic director, but still take time to engage with students. Um, all four of those guys, like really have made me have, have a different perspective of what it means, like not only to be, you know, a black man, quote unquote, but, um, being able to own my authentic self and relate that to my profession and how to impact others with it. And so just having them as, you know, mentors and people to look up to changes how I maneuver with other students as well. I, I agree with everything, everything both of y'all said, actually. Because um, I know just um, we really don't, give a lot of uh, or enough credit to our black faculty and staff for just how, especially now being faculty staff, I see how hard that is. Um, but yes, uh, Dean loved Vaughn, uh, Coach Vaughn when he was here. Um, I just saw Dantisha the other day and and she is very good, very good at her job. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jimmy, Mr. Collins, um, so so many people who have poured into us and now being a member of, I guess, that, that group, it's important for me now to pay that forward. Because um, even now, I'll have students that maybe I helped last summer that I probably don't even know the name. I don't remember their names, you know. But they might remember me. Or they drop by the office and say, hey, Donnie, Mr. Donnie, I, thank you for helping me out. You know, thank you for getting me back in school. Things like this. Family. I had a, I had a um, mom send me a Christmas card. It was nice. Um, so... I think now I, I know the importance, even even though it's always important to see people who look like you, um, it just makes you care that much more. Um, but now knowing the importance, and Miss D also had this one saying, and uh, I'm so sorry to uh, uh, really this whole conversation with uh, her quotes. She says always, to whom much is given, much is expected. 
Much is required. Much is required. There it is. And so I, when she told, she sat me down, had me a heart to heart with her one day, and she had to get me together real, real good. And that was that one she stuck on me, and it definitely stuck. Um, and I, I definitely take it to heart. Yeah. Um. Something else I kind of forgot to mention too, uh, because I don't think people realized how. Uh, important it is especially within your college as well uh, I know like college of business uh I remember like my sophomore year maybe coming in and being like you know we need I'll look at the boards look at the walls look at these the faculty and stuff I'm like we need more representation in here something you know um and so one of the things I'm like made sure that I did was try to like get connected uh, within my college and one thing I was very very appreciative of was last year um, Dr. Cunningham uh, was kind of appointed um, as an executive in residence in the College of Business. And he, uh, again, shout out to Mr. Jimmy, because I would not have been connected with Dr. Cunningham if it was not for Mr. Jimmy. I was in his office one day, and Mr. Jimmy goes, um, you need to go talk to uh, Dr. Cunningham. We, somehow we got on a topic about College of Business or something, and he kept telling me, you know, you need, because I think I was saying how I needed help, like with money for school and stuff. And he said, you need to go talk to Dr. Cunningham in the College of Business. And I was like, okay. And I kind of sat on that for a while. And finally I said, you know, let me go over here and talk to this, you know, introduce myself, talk to him. And I went over there, introduced myself, started talking to him. Next thing you know, um, he's reaching out to me to help get started uh, the first Louisiana Tech chapter of the National Association of Black Accountants. Um, so we were working on that, but not only that, um, because I got connected to him, he took the initiative and saw what I was doing and went ahead and him and his wife actually sponsor a scholarship for me now. Um, and so it's just stuff like that that you really don't even realize you need to take advantage of. Um, Mr. Jimmy has some of the craziest connections that you would never even know or think of until you sit down and talk to him. Um, and that's he's probably one of the most plugged in black faculty I know. He is valid. <laughs> and not even just like on campus, I mean like throughout Worston, yes. period. Yes. Um and so he he can definitely get you plugged in. I I, I call him Connect Four because he makes connections. He knows people. Because why yeah. do you know all these people? <laughs> why do you know how, how do you have time to know all of these people? But yeah. Mm -hmm. So how hard is it for you all in um being leaders? Like how hard it is being a black leader on campus? It's it's a it's a challenge every day, because um, you know the the weight of the responsibility of knowing like sometimes if you're gonna answer a question like you get in a you get in a space like this where you know your experience is magnified to you know the whole eleven percent of the student population that defines themselves as you know African American. Your experience is what people are going to count as the majority of other people's experience. Your actions may define, you know, four or five years of people who come back in your role. Uh, it definitely weighs on you, for sure. You know, um, I know I felt that. But at the same time, as it, you know, may be a weight, but it's also a badge of honor because now I know, like, if I do this right, it opens the door and it's, the progress ain't going to stop. Um, and so it's something where it's a it's always like it's motivation to keep you doing the right thing, trying to always move on um, and, you know, trying to always press press the issue forward. Yeah, I would say kind of piggybacking off of that um, as leaders, you're already held to a higher standard 
but I think as black leaders, we're, we're held to like two times that standard um, because I think there's such a, Elton Taylor talks about this a lot, where you're put in a fishbowl and it's kind of like people come up to the fishbowl, they tap on it, you know, they mess with it, try to get, try to get a reaction out of you. Um, and I think as black leaders, that's what, that's what we're put in is a fishbowl. Um, and so sometimes you have people that'll come up, try to tap the fishbowl, aggravate the fish, you know, in the bowl. Um, and so it's very important about how we handle things, um, what we say, what we do, because we're, we already have a magnifying glass on us. And so um, I always try to be very cognizant about how I handle situations and what I say in response to certain things, um, because some people say things or do things to get a reaction out of you. And if you respond in a way that they don't expect you to respond, then you really have the power of the situation when they thought they had the power of the situation. Um, and so I think really just reminding yourself of why you're, you're here. Um, and that's something I try to remind myself of all the time. That's something I try to tell my e-board all the time is why are you here? What is your, what is your why? Um, because whenever you feel like giving up, whenever you, you know, you get tired, whenever you get tired of being the only in the room, or whenever you get tired of um, constantly doing stuff and it seems like it's not getting noticed because you're a black student leader, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, why? remember why you're here. Because at the end of the day, your why will always be the reason that'll push you and propel you forward and keep you pushing, so. And really just as a student in general, my biggest thing, not biggest thing, all right, probably not the biggest thing, but one of my big things were, was uh, like the whole code switching thing um, and learning how to speak in spaces that don't contain a lot of people that look like me um, and how hard that is. I don't think a lot of people understand how hard um, AAVE or African American vernacular English, how hard that is to kind of break if that's your, your first dialect of English. And it was all, almost like learning a whole new language for the most part, especially in working um, in financial aid, you know, talking on the phone all the time, trying to, you know, um, building bridges with other organizations on campus, uh, leadership um, as a leader in my own organizations. It was so hard. It was so hard. And I don't, um, I don't think that issue gets enough light. Um, and even now, on, on this podcast, I'm stuttering because I'm like trying to find is it half or is it had or <laughs> you know things like this. Am I conjugating the right words? Mm -hmm. um, whereas if I was just speaking freely, I probably would not be you know stuttering this hard. So that that's another aspect of leadership and just being a, a black student here um, at a PWI, maybe any any other PWI, any other predominantly white space. Um, that's 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 definitely a challenge for me even to this day. Yeah, and it's funny because I got a new perspective kind of on code switching because I think when we hear code switch, we automatically think um, just dialect or speech or dialogue, but it really goes around to all things like attire, hair. Like, I mean, the I think one presentation, I'm not sure who it was, but um, recently there was like a research presentation that was in a U-Haul lobby. Um, a couple of days ago, and somebody basically did a presentation on the Crown Act, talking about how, um, basically emphasizing how black women were not allowed to basically like wear their afros, wear their natural hair, and um, 
when I was at the conference this past weekend, I went to a workshop that talked about code switching and they were talking about like code switching attire and hair. And I said, you know, I've never thought about it like that. But when you think about it, when you're in certain settings, you, um, as a black woman, you think, or I think um, sometimes you have to slick, my, I have to slick my hair back or I have to wear my hair a certain way or I might have to put a wig on because I can't wear my natural hair. You know, you, you're a lot more self-conscious about things that should just, that you shouldn't have to be self-conscious about, you know? Um, and so I think it does add to the professionalism aspect, but I think in some ways um, it kind of dials, you know, dials down on who we are as people as well. Thank you today for joining us on our Black History Month edition of the Beyond 1894 podcast. And signing out today is Max Broussard, Donovan Turner, and Ladirica Christian. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.